Check, check, check. Mic check. Oh, it's on. It's oh, hot. Sounds great. This thing is live, buddy. Oh, we're good. We're on now. We're <laughs> oh, we're recording. <laughs> this a, hey, this is the. It's live. It's live. Zach Orion here in the home studio. What's up? This is uh, the Madness Continues podcast. Neighbors, we're neighbors, dude. Yeah, you were around the corner the first time. Actually, not the first time. The fr- I I recognize. I mean, like you're a hard guy to miss, but like I recognized you f- from a handful of mics, and I was like, this guy keeps showing up. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but I never had a conversation with you. And then we both were in the World Series of Comedy. That was the first conversation I had with you. Yeah. Uh, when we were sitting at the. Remember the first time I saw you was at the American Dream mic. Yeah, was I hosting? Yeah, you were hosting. <laughs> and it was like right before you went on like some global tour or something. Oh, that's when I went to Edinburgh last year? Yeah, and I was like, all right, this dude's legit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you up to? Or someone was like, uh, where are you at next week? And you're like, oh, man, I got to I gotta do comedy out in Edinburgh. I was like, oh, that guy's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got to do it. Oh, I don't even want to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I missed it. I didn't do it this year, and I really dis- – I was so so sad to not go this year. Was that the Fringe Fest? Yeah, it was the Fringe Festival, and it's, a, it's amazing. It was a, the coolest – it was, like, literally the coolest. I mean, it was, like, 28 – I went insane, actually. I went crazy really? during the period of time because it was 28 days of non – I had two shows a day for 28 days. Man, how cool is that? An hour uh, – one show was an hour, and the other one was just, like, a 10-minute set or I was hosting. Yeah. And – it was awesome. And then you had to go. But the problem was it wasn't so much that you had to do the shows and that was like grinding on you, although that mm-hmm. also kind of did happen because it was like you just every day. Like if you had a bad show, like you might have. And the thing about Edinburgh was like you might have a bad show, one of your shows, and then the next show is a bad show. And then the next day is two bad shows. Yeah. And then you're like, Jesus Christ. So like why this am is, I here? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's be, and it a little bit and it's challenging because it's like. You're like, what did I do different? Did yeah. I do anything different? Like, did I? I thought I did everything the same, and it would just after a while it would just kind of start really grinding on you because you're like, I don't understand what the what what did I was it me was it the crowd was it like what happened yeah. and and finally you start like just letting go because you're like I can't do anything like right. I can't it, is it is it like a different uh, does it feel different the audience out there feel different than oh, it's it completely does here? Yeah, yeah completely because they're uh, they're a British I mean they're a truly international audience because it's the largest performing arts festival in the world Mm -hmm. but like they they're predominantly british and they're predominantly scottish because they're all they're all it's all locals who are coming out to this thing and they but i mean it's people from all over the world there was like italians or spanish people there's canadians americans australians a lot of australians actually um french people german people lots of like scandinavian norwegian Mm -hmm. you know swedish people who would come out um but people from like really kind of all over and and it, just the sense of humor, especially like from the sh- kind of Chicago bubble that we occupy, just a lot of it didn't translate. Yeah. And some of it did. And that was really, and that's really great. Is and it then, like a political thing or? Uh, some of it. I mean, some of it is like the most, the most stark example was like all of the, like we had, so I did the, I produced the Chicago comedy showcase and we had mm-hmm. like 18 comedians come out and there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of black comedians came out. Mm-hmm. Like we had. Nick Ogle, uh, William Petit, uh, Aaron McDavis, uh, Joshua Dusania, Max Jante, um, St. James Jackson. like, And none of their race material worked. Really? None of it at all. And St. James has some like really hot race material that's yeah. fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. And the Scottish people are like, yeah, we just don't. Nah, like no mate doesn't it's, doesn't relate, like, relate like to us ten- mate. Yeah, maybe they don't understand. Like, they, maybe they don't understand like the tension and then release. They have no. They have. They just don't have any. Yeah. They have no sense of white guilt. Yeah. Like they have none. So they just don't. There's nothing there. So yeah. it's like, sounds like a problem in your country. Yeah, and, like that's the, that's the only <laughs> thing they care about. 
it's so weird. And then they, the other thing is like the British audiences want, they really like wordplay. Mm-hmm. They like it when you, you like, you take a word, um, almost punny. Yeah, very much so. Right. And they Rena like Calm it. Rena would kill out there. Oh, she would destroy, she would demolish, <laughs> dude. Rena Calm would. It's so weird too because like I came back and I would tell people I was the, I I told people when I came back that they, I'd be like you need to go do Edinburgh mm-hmm. and she was one of them because I was like you so would de- destroy yeah and 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 I think she was like mm, that sounds nice yeah. and I was like you should really go do it like, so the Fringe Festival <laughs> does that work like most festivals where you just submit here's what we would not at do, all or? it's a unique festival because you. anyone can go do it literally anyone can go do it and the only thing you have to have is a uh the money to register your Mm -hmm. show and then you have to get a place that's a registered venue to accept your show okay so there's there's like a list of there's hundreds i mean literally hundreds of venues and like everything in the whole city like if somebody has an apartment with an with a um, a broom closet that could hold two people. Yeah. That's a venue. <laughs> like they'll have one performer and one audience member. It's a very intimate show. That sounds awesome. And it, it's kind of neat because anybody can get in and do the show. Uh, but there's different brands of venues that have different like styles of things that they do. So mm-hmm. like comedy is like a third of the festival. Mm-hmm. So two thirds of the festival is just other shit. Yeah. And it's like improv, drama. Drama. Uh, maybe improv, maybe it's music. There's a lot of jazz improvisation stuff that the people are doing there. There's a lot of like, there's like Muppet shows. There's like kids shows. There's like. I love how I separated improv. From yeah, comedy. I knew. It. Like, I, comedy's yeah, yeah. one third. I was like, what about improv? <laughs> like, it didn't mesh in there. Dude, it's so, I don't know. It's depending on how the improv goes, you could argue whether or not it's even comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I did improv for 14 years. Yeah. And like, I. That's what you were saying. I stopped doing it because I just, I cannot stand most improvisers. Yeah. Oh man! All right, so let me get back to this. Like, just so anyway, the point is, is like some of these brands, though, like Just the Tonic. Like, there's a there's a brand of comedy club in the UK called Just the Tonic, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the Laugh Factory of the UK a little bit. And that's where I produced my show. They had me submit, and mm-hmm. I had to go through a submission process of like describing the show, sending in clips, getting references, like all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think that the only reason they accepted me was that I had filmed and recorded my 30-minute like comedy special mm-hmm. that I did like the year before and then sent that in. And then I was an American comic, and I think that they wanted to get more American comedians in this year mm-hmm. or that year. And so uh, that's the only reason I think the show got like accepted because it, 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 it really is kind of like uh, a UK comic like nobody's ever heard of right. getting... And if the laugh fact, if we if if Chicago had a giant festival where literally the whole city was turned upside down, yeah, and then some comic that nobody had ever heard of from the UK got a one hour show at 10 p.m. at the Laugh Factory, yeah. every day, you'd be like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. So it was kind of weird because like, um, I mean, I don't want to say like, I wasn't like a big deal, but like people were like, wow, how did you get this venue? Yeah. Because it was like this is a venue that we've had to work to get into, and we have no idea who the fuck you are. Yeah. Um. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, man, it was just, it's a unique thing because it's like, there was that one, but then there was like another, like the show that I did for the Chicago Comedy Showcase, I just rented a room in a building. Like I didn't, there was no submission process. They were just like, uh, you, that's up to you. Go market your show. That's the, so that's the thing is like, just to drop back, this is becoming all about Edinburgh and I didn't, (laughs) didn't, didn't see it going this way, but the thing that's weird about it is that you 
So not only do you have a show an hour a day or a couple shows, you also are doing shows all day long because mm-hmm. everybody has like somewhere in the city there's a comedy show going on and most people are like, yeah, do a guest set. Like we don't give a shit. Like yeah. whatever. It's a variety show. Get right. on. Like it'll be you, a spoken word poet, a bunch of interpretive dancers. Um, then you'll get up and do comedy and then like yeah, market your show. Go yeah. do it. So that's a good way to get pe- awesome. audience members. It's kind of neat. Um, and then you, if you're not doing that, you're out flyering. So you're literally, you're walking around handing out flyers to try to get people to come come out to your show. And it's weird because it actually kind of works. Like people, you'll flyer people and then they'll come and see your show. Oh, really? I've (laughs) never had that happen in Chicago ever. Yeah. It doesn't work at all. It's the, that's another cultural difference is like if over there, if you sell your show to people, they'll actually come and. Yeah, watch it. Maybe there's a correlation between not understanding white guilt and then accepting flyers. <laughs> <laughs> I just think the United States, honestly, is more, and especially Chicago, is just more defensive. Mm-hmm. That like everybody's waiting for. Everyone's talk- in a rush. Say what? Everyone's in a rush. It seems like everyone knows their plan. They don't want to stitch steer from their plan. It's like it's hard to see someone walking from A to B and then intersect that with a different plan and then be like, oh yeah, that'll work. Oh, it's a neat idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like everyone's already got their day planned, what they're going to do. Here's what's happening. I think there's just a level of intensity that people have here that is not as the same over in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, Really almost across the board, but especially, but I mean like especially sort of in Scotland. Yeah. Like, cause that's just not, it just bleeds into other things in life. I should talk about this on stage more often, but like something, uh, this is something that I've noticed is just that there's a level of, like I was saying, like intensity or like, like you were saying, like there's somebody's got like a goal or yeah. like, but I think it all comes from this like strange defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Like people over there just are more willing to, you know, and maybe it's because I'm a foreigner, so it's like a special status or something, mm-hmm. but it feels like people are more willing to kind of give you some space to like, yeah, tell us about your show yeah. or like, yeah, I'll spend some, you know, let's go grab right. a beer, some coffee or something or like, what are you doing right now? Like that's not something that, I've ever had anybody over here ever be like, what are you doing right now? Let's go do, let's go hang out. Like over there, it feels like you can run into somebody and your entire evening can just go. Now you're part of their part of your group. You're part of their group. You guys are hanging out. Like, I think that's the American ego too at play. I think that a lot of people are are less convinced to like, if I'm out there handing out flyers, they're like, who does this guy think he is? Who the fuck are you, man? Why would I go see your show? Why would I hang out with you? Yeah. If it was cool, wouldn't I have already heard about it? Exactly. Never heard of this. That's the biggest, like weirdest thing that I think that's a, I think it is maybe American ego or something, but there's definitely a chip on your shoulder. Kind of like if I had already, like I would already know about this if it was cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. It's like, it's so strange. I just think of the groups of like foreigners that I've ever met on vacations and how like willing to like let you be part of whatever they're doing. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, especially like Europeans and stuff or anybody really for that matter that's not American. You get like seven frat boys from America together, go try to hang out with them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, good dude. luck. Yeah, right. yeah, that's never going to happen. Right. Not that you'd even want to yeah. by any means, <laughs> but like they wouldn't let you even if you did. <laughs> no, that's so real though. Is it like, I, I, um, so I, years ago, like, uh, so I lived in France a couple of different times, but like one of the things that used to happen, like, uh, routinely, to be mm-hmm. honest, like maybe every other weekend or uh, at least once a month when I was living there was like, I would meet some people out at a bar. We would have drinks. We'd get to talking. We'd end up, and that would be at like 9 p.m. Then, mm-hmm. like, for the next three to four hours, 
I would just be hanging out with those people yeah. and talking and getting to know them. We'd go to like a couple other bars or something. And then like that would be on like a Thursday. Yeah. And then the, that night, at the end of the night, they'd be like, oh, you should come with us. We're actually going up to, you know, Camille, uh, Camille's parents, uh, her parents have uh, and actually a chateau outside in uh, the Loire Valley. It's just we're just going to go tomorrow morning. Yeah, no, you should yeah. come with us. And then I would just go. Yeah. And then and I've never had that. I could count on one hand the number of that times that's ever happened in yeah, the United States happen. in my whole life. Yeah, it doesn't like, happen over here. Like nobody's ever People done are that. People protective stuff. over their opportunities here. Yeah, it's really <laughs> weird. It's like kind of like, what do you? Have? Who are you? How do I know? Like the, I've never been to a party in, in in the whole time I was living at Europe where somebody said to me like, "I'm sorry, who do you know here?" Yeah. Like how how do we know you? Oh, dude, that is nails on a chalkboard because we all know that. <laughs> we I mean we all know that. Excuse me, who are you? Oh my god, that's the worst here? thing you could ever hear. Who are your, who's your your friend how many times you hear that at a wedding why who are you here with yeah uh jesus man i'm just here yeah, dude, just I'm just calm here. down to sit say look i can show you the card where my name was written down on a table okay right. like i'm <laughs> supposed to be here right exactly <laughs> exactly that's funny i mean it's even i mean i'm not even like better than it like i'm part of it i went to yeah. a wedding this past weekend not this weekend but a week ago in st louis with uh gloria mm-hmm. and we and a friend of ours got married who i used to work with and they're lovely people. And everybody everybody at the wedding was all lovely people. Yeah. They're all wonderful. They're yeah. all great. They all were had nice, interesting things to talk about. And we yeah. all became friends. I got none of their contact info and just left. Yeah. And I was just like, hey, great. See ya. Fun and like, times. that was the end of the thing. Fun like, times. Yeah. It's, you're here for the moment, and that's it. We don't want to see you after this. That's just nuts, man. Um. All right. Look, here's it. Let's let me back way up, man. Because uh, what I was saying uh, earlier is that I we this is like probably the most time we've ever talked or hung out. But I uh talked with you a little bit outside of the World Series of Comedy, which was a unique evening, and very unique. <laughs> yeah, Travis Potts and I talked about it on the podcast a while ago, and uh, it was it was a unique. Was, the whole thing was very unique. Anyway, um. Then I ran into you in the alleyway yeah. when you were walking your dog. Yeah. Because uh, who's a fucking enormous dog? It's a big dog. Not only are you a big guy, but you have an enormous yeah, dog. Yeah, you ran into me and my big ass dog in the alleyway. <laughs> I, I'm glad it was daytime, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's 190 pounds. 190 pound English Mastiff. And Jesus, he's like man. Four and a half years old, so he's still a puppy. Yeah. But he's like a grown man. Yeah, he's a giant ass dog. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't get it. So he's just all over the place breaking shit. And it's funny too because like I've developed this like parental instinct with him. So like any, the, I, I never leave like cups around because his yeah. tail is like a Louisville slugger. You know what I mean? Like he'll <laughs> yeah, knock he's a, a big ass dog, man. Another room. Yeah. So it's like I, I, I understand like how people get like this like parental instincts of what's going to get knocked over and what isn't. And it's funny too to have people like come visit me. Yeah. Cause you're like, I know things that I have to move. Yeah. Already. And they'll have like the end table out and they'll just put their cup there. And I'll like, yeah, I'm just going to move this for you because <laughs> that's gone already. That's gone. Dude, I would, I feel bad for whoever's going to try to break into your apartment. Like yeah. And rob it. Yeah. It's hilarious. They would see that dog and he honestly looks like the happiest nicest dog yeah he is he's the best guard dog ever too because when you come to the door initially he goes batshit crazy but then when you're in it's like he's like yeah you're fine you're fine i shouldn't have said that live but (laughs) (laughs) i lock my doors too bitches (laughs) dude uh so so uh so where i wanted to go though was uh i haven't talked to you too much but you're uh, you went from somebody who i didn't know who i hadn't seen very much of at all to like uh, you're running a great show at the Laugh Factory, um, doing comedy festivals and stuff, getting getting good good gigs, 
And then, uh, and then you were on WGN, like I yeah. think the morning news or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was like kind of crazy. So I was like, man, I gotta have Zach on and talk to him about like everything that he's doing. And, and you're a talented dude. You're not somebody who like who I feel like everything that you're hitting. I'm like this. Yeah, it makes sense. Like he's oh, like he's that. like Thank banging you. on all cylinders. Yeah, um, it was kind of like one of those situations where I just am always there. So like you said, you kind of just always yep. saw me there, and that's kind of the approach I've always taken to life in general. So I like transitioned like what I've done to become successful in life just over to comedy because I didn't start comedy until I was 30 years old. Yeah. How I'm, old are you? I'm 31. Oh, you're 31. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, so I'm a year and a half in. Uh, I started comedy in, in Cleveland, and the same thing there, I was just kind of for two months, I was just at every open mic, at every show, and finally, and I'm, you know, I'm six, I'm a bigger dude. And finally, someone was like, who, who the are fuck you? are yeah, you? Why are you at this open mic every week? And I was like, oh, well, I eventually definitely want to start doing comedy, but I just don't have the balls yet. So I was writing a lot. And then actually, before I even did an open mic, my friend put me on a, a showcase. Uh-huh. I did a five minute showcase, which was awful, but it wasn't the worst. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I finished every joke. Sure. <laughs> Good. And then uh, I just followed with just eating dick for like the next couple months. And then I did Cleveland for six seven months and was like okay i can only get up once or twice a week here mm. and i really like this stuff yeah so. so you gotta go somewhere else yep yeah so i moved to chicago and did the kind of the same thing here for like a month i was just everywhere yep and then just started hitting the mics and everything else but yeah the laugh factory has been huge for me i met curtis and brian uh kind of right out of the gate i was just sitting at the bar yeah that's the way they like it man yeah just sitting at the bar and then i'd go to every open mic i'd sign up every week and then i'd go the next week and then yeah finally just started giving me some critique and stuff and things started just snowballing after that so nice yeah, I just started creating, and then um, um, my friend Daryl and I, and now Greg, uh, Greg Kennedy and Daryl Schmitz, we run Stray Bits, so initially when I wasn't getting booked on anything, I was like, all right, well, we're just going to have to kind of create our own platform. Yeah, so that's started, pretty much how it goes. Yeah. yeah, so we just started booking everybody else, and then they started booking us back, and then everything kind of yep. came together. So Yeah, it's amazing how that works, and like, it, it, well, you've been in Chicago for how long now? Uh, a year yesterday. Oh, got it. Okay, yeah. cool. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah it... it I saw you guys were doing straight bit stuff, and that's when I was like, Jesus, what isn't Zacho doing right now? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And here's the crazy thing. So I was doing all that with a full-time Job. career. Yeah, yeah, I was an automation engineer. With I was doing sales as well. So there was a lot of stuff going on, and um, I actually just left my company. So Tuesday is going to be my last day. I'm taking them all their equipment, and I'm done with that. So I'm kind of doubling down on the entertainment industry. And yeah. Um, so a lot of cool things are going to happen because of just how much more time I have. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited. So, I mean, I want to, you know, I want to kind of start doing some podcasts and stuff like that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm jealous of that to be perfectly honest, because I, I have the day job that I'm, that is really good and it's been great because it's funded, it funded Edinburgh. It funded like the podcast. It's funded like, uh, be shooting the TV pilot, like right. all this stuff, New York Television Festival, like all this shit. So I'm glad that I have it. Yeah. But like just that time, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not even opposed to having another job in the future. Um, but I try to negotiate working 100% remote with them. Yeah. Even to the point where I, w- I literally told them I would take half my salary. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I'm just a, a smaller fish in a very big pond. Like this company, our, our corporate is in Japan. Yeah. So it's a huge global company. So it's, I mean, they're never going to accept terms like that. Everyone's going to be on the exact same. Yeah. yeah, They totally want to have everything. Yeah, absolutely. So I just, and I wanted to be remote just because I like the idea of being able to kind of be, get my job done wherever I'm from. Oh yeah. Um, being able to wake up early and kind of, I mean, that's what Brandon Gay did. 
yeah. like when he did his U.S. tour, basically, was he worked remotely for Certify, I think. Yeah. I almost became his boss at one point, which is funny. <laughs> um, and uh, he, yeah, traveled around, did work remotely, and that's how he basically got all this exposure to the entire world of or nation yeah, he did like of a 50, US comedy. He did like a whole 52 year weeks. Right? Yeah. yeah. 52 yeah, that's weeks. awesome. It was nuts. And then he's back now and it's like uh it's crazy to see how he cuz like I caught up with him a couple times when he was out on that tour we would do comedy and I'm like man he just it's the same thing. It's like what Edinburgh did to me. It's like that's an entire I had an entire year's worth of stage time in fi- in 4 weeks yeah. basically. How cool is that though? It was, awesome. it was madness and like uh and I definitely had an entire year's worth of like ups and downs. Yeah. <laughs> In that amount of time. That's wild. I couldn't imagine that because this is this is the this is a crazy roller coaster, dude. It's nuts, right? Yeah, it's wild. Well, you so so how did you get so this is interesting. So you were like, I just applied to comedy, what I've been doing like in the rest of my life and stuff. So automation engineer is a real ass job. Um, how did you get? What was your pathway to comedy before that? Because you're oh, you're also, and I know that you've ex- probably had this conversation with more than one person in the comedy scene, but like, you're not the stereotypical looking like comedian dude. Yeah, you're not a guy who anybody looks at and goes, "That guy can't get laid," or he's not athletic, or like any of that shit. Like, you're a guy who's like <laughs> yeah. a good looking dude who's tall, who, um, you know, is not a stereotypical looking comic. Right, and. And as a result, like it's interesting to, because I'm I'm curious, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is I'm like I'd kind of like to know what your pathway to comedy was like. Yeah. Because like a lot of people I think ended up coming this way. A lot of male comedians come this way because they're like nothing else is working. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. That makes sense. Um. I mean, when I was in, if I could play an instrument, I would be in a band. Yeah. But I can't. No, so now I gotta get up on stage. I'm uh, I'm from Beaufort, South Carolina. So I'm from the dirt roads of of South Carolina. So yeah. I just kind of came up, and my entire family's you know. Southern, so we just came up kind of busting each other's balls. So sure. I was always a part of like make each other laugh type lifestyle. And I moved up to Ohio when I was like 14. Didn't really have too many friends. It was a completely different environment for mm. me. I, I talked different, I looked different. So I didn't really hang out with anybody until like my junior year of high school when I met one of my good friends, Corey Wagner. He's actually a comic in uh, Chicago. Um, and uh, I met him, and we just kind of became best friends. And every all we did was just bullshit back and forth and mm. joke. And next thing we did was we kind of translated that over into high school. And then next thing you know, we had friends, and it was all kind of circulated around making each other laugh. So uh, I ended up joining the military out of high after high school. I got in a little bit of trouble in college, so I joined the military after that. Wait, and, what happened? Uh, I went to jail a couple of times. Yeah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just stupid like. Uh, like stupid bar fights and stuff like that. I was trying to walk onto the football team, so I was hanging out with some like uh, really super aggressive guys on the in the college football team. Yeah. Well, where did you go to school? Uh, initially Bowling Green. Got it. Okay. So I was trying to walk on there. Oh, didn't yeah. end I up working. Bowling Green. I went to Eastern Michigan University. Yeah, Bowling Green State University is just a party school. Yeah. Right. So I'm hanging out with the, like I wouldn't say the wrong guys, but just a bunch of meathead guys. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we initially got into like a bar brawl. Everyone got slapped on the wrist type. I don't know misdemeanors, and then uh, I got into a, an altercation where. Uh, one of these guys ended up calling my buddy the N-word after he left this place. What? And, yeah, and I'm from South Carolina, so that's like the one, like, like that's a like huge trigger word. Yeah, yeah, me, yeah. You know? So we got into it and uh, ended up going, uh, it ended up not working out well for that guy. And when we were- <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay, so back up. So this guy, but why did he, so were you hanging out in a bar and he- No, we were actually in the dorms. We were on the fourth the, floor in okay. the dorms. And yeah. your friend left. Yeah, my friend. And then this dude just was like- he, They walked by each other in the in the hallway- and then the dude, like, saw him, obviously. And this is all the end of the hallway. So the guy walks sure. up to me, and he goes, hey, who let the N-word into our into the dorms? 
And I was like, what'd you say? And he kind of like walked, he was like, you heard me. And he kind of like walked into this one room and his girlfriend at the time. And then my roommate and my neighbor were up there. So everyone's kind of like arguing back and forth. And then two minutes later, he just came out like a, and he came out kind of crazy and we just started fighting. Oh shit. And then everything would have been fine. But the guy who lived across from me in the hallway, after my roommate picked me up and we were like, he was like, all right, let's go downstairs. The, my, the guy that lived across from me on the first floor kicked the guy in the head. Oh shit. And lights out. And we yeah. were like, oh shit. Yeah. So we sprinted down to the first floor and just kind of went in the room and we knew what was going to happen. And yep. 30, 40 minutes later, you kind of heard the ambulance and the cops. And I explained the story to the cops, and I mean, they were like, "Yeah, that's really like not a cool thing for that guy to say, but you just still can't." Yeah, you can't do that shit. Yeah, and luckily, like they had the tapes because um, the, that, that was guy, recorded on like a security camera or something. Yeah, so that guy ended up he had like a they wired his jaw shut and everything, but it was all because of that kick. Kick. So yeah. luckily, they had that. I kind of got out of it, and then after I didn't, I wouldn't say I got out of it. I did. I spent two nights in jail, so that's I mean that sucked, but. I mean, that's only two nights. It's only two nights. Yeah. And then really that was a great event that ended up happening in the long run because I was like, okay, I got to get my shit together. Yeah. So I joined the military. I was in the Air Force for, I was in the National Air Force National Guard for eight years. It was all six years and then two inactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went, on my second year in the Air Force, I went back to University of Toledo, studied engineering. Got it. Uh, went back down to South Carolina after I graduated, just kind of get my bearings, and then moved out to Vegas. I lived out in Vegas for a year. What year was that? 2013. So I graduated December 2012, and I lived in Vegas all of 2013. And Got that it. was when I started getting like the entertainment itch. Yeah. Started hanging out with a couple people that were into like acting and stuff like that. Initially, I wanted to be an actor. Got it. Um, so I started like not like studying or doing anything, but it was just like that was the what I was gonna do. Um, then I ended up taking a job coming back to Cleveland, Ohio. A year, literally a year after that, and then um, there's no acting anything going on in Cleveland. No, of course not. Right. So, and, and I, well, I kind of forgot about the whole thing because I had a new career. I was making good money, and I was like, oh, I'm making. Is really that when money. you were doing automation engineering? It's like, still it's like... the exact same company that I was working for here Got in Chicago. It. Okay, okay. I'm making good money. I'm dating a girl at the time. Everything's going well, and I'm like, okay, money. This sucks. This isn't cool. So I'm. Uh, I'm back on like the, okay, I want to get into acting thing. Nothing to do there for acting, but they had a stand-up scene. And one of my buddies was like, why don't you try stand-up? And I was like, all right, I'll give it a whirl. So then that's when all that transpired. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the whole process. Writing, sure. um, f- f- it's like a puzzle, right? So that yeah, was yeah. what I initially fell in love with. I fell in love with writing first. Mm. And then getting on stage, I was like, oh, man, this is incredible. See, that's so interesting to me because that's that's a slightly, that's interesting for two reasons. The first is that, um, and just immediately, like, I'm actually kind of the opposite in the sense that I actually, like, I do enjoy writing, but it's my least favorite part yeah. of the, I like being in front of an audience more yeah. than I like almost anything else. Like, right. and I'll get up with almost nothing and just try to work it out because it's just fun. Yeah. Um, just to mess with the audience and talk with them and try to work something yeah. out. Like, that's very interesting. The, the only problem, of course, is that you're in the business of entertainment. So if that's not entertaining, you're yeah. literally not doing your job. Right. Um, which means you have to have the writing. Right. And it is like a puzzle, which I totally agree with you. The second thing about it that's fascinating is I've noticed that for 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 guys who, but especially for men who have an ego, um, it's challenging to get into the world of doing comedy specifically mm-hmm. because I feel like you go through so much ego destruction yeah. so regularly because yeah. you're just like, 
I'm going to write this thing I think is funny and like get up in front of an audience and do it yeah. and nobody laughs. And then it's like, how do you maintain a sense of self when you're doing that? And I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of, especially male comics. I don't know if this is true of female comics as much, but I know especially for male comics or men who want to get into comedy, there's like this kind of strange, like I'm used to being identified with, like I feel good about myself because of X, Y, Z, insert whatever personal belief mm-hmm. you have there. So it's like, um, guys who are really athletic or yeah. whatever and like guy and people who I know throughout my life who I would be like actually you would probably really enjoy getting up on stage and doing comedy they won't do it they'll be too afraid to do it right or they'll try it once and it won't go like perfectly and then mm. they'll be like I can't like I just don't want to do it anymore because they don't yeah. want to face the idea of whatever the thing is they used to have believe in themselves right they can't bear the burden of that maybe collapsing in real time in front of them with an audience right and so they don't want to do it and it's just fascinating because a lot of those guys, no offense, <laughs> can like look like you yeah, in the sense no, absolutely. that they're like dudes who are used to having a strong sense of self from mm-hmm. like, I'm a tall dude, I got a hot girlfriend, maybe I got a good job, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. Any of I'm athletic, any of those things. And it feels, it's interesting to me because it feels like you're just kind of been, you're like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm going to go right into doing this thing because I want to yeah. do it. And that's kind of how I've always been too, and especially now. I mean, I'm, I'm 31, so I've kind of, I've had the craziest up and downs in life. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, my relationship. Like I don't have a relationship with my dad and there was some turmoil there. I lived with him from 15 to when I was 17, I moved out of his house like halfway through my senior year. Mm. So there was a lot of just destruction. So I was, I mean, I was torn down there um, from that aspect. Then even being in the military, they, Mm. you know, they tear that ego down as much as they can too. So you're like, this is old hat. Exactly. (laughs) So like, I mean, dude, (laughs) I, I, I did, I I made it through eight weeks of boot camp. You know what I mean? So there's not a lot of, I can do five minutes. It's, I can shit on stage for five minutes and yeah. not be well and get off and be fine. And I always think, also, my competitiveness com- totally outweighs my ego. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's like, okay, that sucked. That set was terrible. But it, instead of like dwelling on it, I'm You're like, I'm gonna like, get the fuck back on here. Exactly. I'm yeah, always like, how yeah, do you do totally. this? And like, that's I think that's a huge thing. Um, I don't understand. And it's funny too because like I see competitiveness in everybody that's in comedy, and I don't think. And then I'll hear him say, well, I'm not that competitive. But you, you kind of really are. Yeah. Just to be in comedy alone, you have to be competitive because you're battling so many factors. Like you're battling, first of all, you're battling yourself because this oh, yeah. is totally against human nature to get on stage and be like, listen, I'm going to make you, I'm going to entertain you yeah. by myself. Like no, that no Neanderthal ever did. You know what yeah. I mean? We're a pack, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're pack animals. You know what I mean? So like you're battling that, you're battling the audience. You're, you're I mean, and when it I comes down yeah. to it, yeah, I don't think Neanderthals had a lot of stand up. No, comics. no. <laughs> Walk around with clubs, hitting an animal. And, and you're also, when it comes down to, it, you're also competing for spots for your spot. at the Oh end yeah. Of the day, without so. a doubt. It was funny because like, uh, when I first started doing comedy, when I was 16. I was, I would get angry at myself if I was not the funniest comic on the lineup. Mm-hmm. Like if the if the show, including the headliner, like and I was doing the Comedy Castle in Royal Oak, Michigan. Like it's, yeah. a, it's a comedy standard, mm-hmm. and I would like get up and I'd be like, "Man, that fucking!" And I'd get so mad mm-hmm. that I would have to go like rehearse or like tighten my jokes up or like yeah. it would really bother me if I wasn't like the best. I didn't think I was the best one on the lineup. Yeah, and you you'll notice. And I mean, what I do is I honestly, and I've noticed this about myself, I will perform to the level of the lineup almost sometimes. So if the lineup is, and I, if I know the lineup is just killer. So like when I get booked at the Laugh Factory, I'm typically the first person to go. I'm newer to the scene. So everyone is just a monster. So those are like my best sets because yeah. I'm like, okay, I have to show out here because. Yeah, I got to prove killers. why I'm supposed to be here. Right. And then 
um, just for an example, I did a uh, just a small, a very small show with some like Second City people who had just d- taken like the writing class. Yeah, and it was like their first or second like show that they've ever performed on, and they asked me to come um, and do the show. And like I knew like they were newer, and I could feel myself even on stage not performing as well as I would just because of the performers that had gone maybe before me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. Not to say that I'm great or anything like that. I just had you can feel yourself softening because you're like, this is going to... Exactly. If I get up here and be a... I'm going to be a bull in a china shop. Exactly. So you feel yourself softening. So I like, I love when I see like some of these killer headliners like on the on the lineup with me. But I definitely can understand. And I think a lot of that is too. Like, you were 16. Of course that's how you felt. Yeah, <laughs> You right. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> of course that's how you felt when you were 16. That I, That's another huge advantage to starting comedy when you're 30. I mean, I... When I first started, I was like, man, you know, I wish I would have started when I was 20. But, like, looking back, all I cared about when I was 20 was where am I going to get the next bottle of liquor and who can I take home to? Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That's all I cared about. So yep. I would have just totally probably destroyed any connection I had in comedy. Well, it's funny because, like, I, th- you know, Dave Metz and I would talk. Uh, I've known Dave Metz for years mm-hmm. um, from back in Detroit. And we would talk sometimes about how these how comedians in their 30s will sometimes, like, just really blow up. Yeah. Like, people who start in their 30s will just blow up because mm-hmm. you have such a way better sense of self. Right. And what you're about and all that shit. Yeah. You're much you, more confident in, like, your values, right? No, 100%. And it's weird because I think that I'm strangely – I think part of the reason I even started this podcast and wanted to have conversations was that I've been doing this for so long – that I don't have a sense of self with that. I started doing improv when I was 14. I was yeah. doing a show a month, three practices a week. Yeah. Like started doing stand up when I was 16, doing a show every week at mm-hmm. the Comedy Castle, opening for people, do you know what I mean, doing like really small road gigs. Like I didn't I don't have a sense of self apart from comedy. Right. And so it's weird because it's like I I spent you could almost look at um, and maybe some listeners who have listened to this podcast a lot will understand that like the last 10 years of my life have been since really finishing college have been like me trying to almost get a sense of self outside of doing comedy. Okay, yeah. And um, so you're kind of separating is where I'm trying to pull. I'm trying to find my sense of self in comedy. You're trying to find yourself outside of comedy. Well, I think that I'm trying to find, I think that I'm trying to, I think I've found it. And yeah. I, I think that a lot of what I was doing beforehand and really leading up to about three years ago was doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and I just kind of bummed around. I mean, I did mixed martial arts. I was doing cage fighting. Uh, I started, uh, basically I was, I became homeless. Like I started working at startups, traveled around Europe a lot, doing comedy and just like bumming around France a bunch. Uh, I did that twice. I had like, uh, I started trying to really attack like internships. Cause I was like, maybe like, cause it's, it's weird, man. Because like you're, you know, you're, you're having, you're having, you're, you just started and a year in you're having some good success, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And it's weird because it's like you can – I was doing comedy for a long time and I had a lot of initial success. But at 16 years old, like I didn't know – I didn't, I had no idea right. that, that was the case because I was like doing what you were talking about. You're like, where's the next bottle of liquor coming from? Who yeah. can I take home tonight? I'm like 16, 17 and I'm like if I'm not the funniest motherfucker on this yeah. lineup, nobody's going to want to bang yeah. me. Like yeah, that's absolutely. basically at 17 years old like what I was thinking. Yeah. Because I wasn't the athletic guy. I wasn't the – I mean I wrestled and shit in high school but like I wasn't – I didn't see myself that way. Mm. And so I was like, I'm just this funny motherfucker who I can get up on stage and just, just destroy yeah. this. And that's what it would have been. If I would have started comedy when I was 20 or even younger, it would have been, I'm literally doing comedy so I can get pussy. Yeah, like, that was basically it. it I was be. like, I want to fuck, and this right. is the only way that I know how to do it. Right. Whereas now I can look at it like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. 
you know, I feel like I, I attack it a little bit differently. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's exactly the boat that I'm in then. So this is actually interesting that you and I are on similar pages because like, I think I've come out the other side of that and mm. now I'm like, Oh, I know what I'm about. Like I, I really, you know, I like business. I like doing, I like succeeding at business. I can see myself doing really well on the production side. I'm never going to not do stand up. Right. Like I really see that as like, I have ideas for bits and specials and different things I want to put out that are addressing you know things that i want to explore through comedy right um that i see like really strongly but that took a lot of work to like get to that place does yeah. that make sense yeah absolutely and that's that's why it's, it's like on a go forward basis i know that that's just i'm gonna be doing this till i'm dead yeah but like it almost took me to go away from that for a while to finally go like oh shit that's actually what i and it, yeah. to be honest dude it's it was all about getting pussy like yeah. it was all about like just oh, what for, of course it was because <laughs> of course it was you started when you're 16 all right better have been you started you were doing comedy like when you had no pubes. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's that's too real, man. I was fourteen years old, hadn't even gone through puberty yet. Yeah, so you were dealing with the hormone monster. No, it was and insane. The comedy monster. It was insane, and it's weird because it's 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 honestly like a fucking dragon. Like yeah. it really is, and yeah. it's and it's bizarre because it's like there's men who you who you can tell. I mean, even into their, uh, I mean, well into their adulthood, have never actually yeah. really really tamed that dragon. Right. Yeah. And you're just like, that's dude, how you get, just that's how you get these weirdos that uh, fuck it up for the rest. There you of go. Us. That's exactly. That's a hundred percent real. That's mm -hmm. how you get a Harvey Weinstein. That's how you get them. And you you take this weirdo and you give them a platform. You think they're just not going to do weirdo shit? Yeah. They're, they're hundred percent powerful. This is the one thing that they've been working at their whole lives. Yeah. They've never had, and especially a dude like Harvey Weinstein is so fucked up to say talk about this. It's 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 a little fucked up to talk about this. I shouldn't say it's so fucked up, but it's like it's fucked up that a guy like that can he can just never like you're like if that guy just had if he just had one attractive woman yeah love him when mm -hmm. he was younger and then break up with him and then he had to do some soul searching yeah. to realize you know what it's not just about this yeah we how many young starlets careers would have been saved seriously absolutely and i have like, a, i have a theory on that too and it's like if he had just done some introspection yeah i have a theory on that too and it's like when i had relationships with women before i was anything you know what i mean like i was able Luckily, because be just being six foot five in general, when I was a freshman in college, when I had no money, yeah, like I was still able to get pussy just because I was six foot five. You know what I mean? And you don't like, even I have to talk. do that shit. Like that's the thing that's amazing to me is like the older I get, the more I look back and go, the things that I thought, like I'm five nine, the yeah. things that I thought were in my way were so not in not my way. Like you were in your own way. Yeah, you were in your own way. And the thing is, but what happened was because I was able to have those relationships with women when I was younger and actually learn like. I was able to actually learn what I could and couldn't do around women because yeah. I was always around women. So yeah. I was like, oh, that's a fucked up thing to do. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. You definitely don't pull your dick out just randomly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. knew that. But then you yeah, take yeah. people that have maybe no relation with women, right? No. Just, it's just StarCraft and Cheetos forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, then just, <laughs> and then you give them a platform to now... It's women. Starcraft. Well, they and just take the Starcraft and Cheetos mentality, yeah. and now they just apply it to women. Yeah, and they have no idea. Yeah, and yeah. They have I no actually idea. feel bad. It's like it's kind of sad because like, uh, and but you forgot the Mountain Dew Code Red. Oh that, yeah, yeah. That, in that visual, you got to wash it down with something. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, it's funny, dude, because I the what handled it in my life was that I started doing mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. And got really fucking fit and really. I mean, it was like the most because I'm like a competitive guy too. Yeah. And I was like, and you're this a fit is, guy. Yeah, I mean, now I wasn't way when I was younger, but like I got into doing mixed martial arts and got really fit, got super competitive, 
and just really was like, I'm not, nothing's going to, I'm going to get whatever the fuck I want, like kind of like mentality. Mm -hmm. And I literally, like, I realized that I had a problem with, with like, with some sense of like my sense of self or like women in my life was a big one, but like, and maybe that's forever. Who knows? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Maybe you have a relationship with that for your whole life that you're like, I got so I have to check in with myself to make sure, like, hey, am I trying to get pussy too much? Yeah. Okay, maybe. Okay, it's all right. I'll take a step yeah. back. <laughs> but, like, but I mean, like, I'm stable now. I have, like, a girlfriend. Like, everything's, well, like, we're set. We have a good relationship. But, like, just to back it up, like, I had to go through, I went through a, I went, did some crazy shit. I went, I took a male initiation ritual mm-hmm. with this place called the Mankind Project. I studied with. What is a, that about? It's a, I'll tell you about it in a second. I studied with a dating coach who's the best guy in the world. He's like a mentor to me. Mm. He's like a. He's not really a dating coach anymore. He just runs a series of different businesses online that mm. do just other things. But I studied with that guy for a while. It wasn't Will Smith, was it? No, but that's a real dude. Um, <laughs> that guy's name is. Uh, that Hitch is based off of a guy named David Weigand. Really? He's a real dude who actually knows the guy who I used to work with. The guy who I used to work for was um his name was adam lyons i used to do sales for his company okay and he like gave me a bunch of mentorship and coaching and like all this kind of stuff and it's almost exactly like what you saw in hitch as crazy as that sounds Hmm. but here's the thing that i learned about this what you were just describing and this is what shot uh this whole line of me talking out is that you were saying like these guys like you had the luck of being able to get female attention to get to the point where you could realize oh shit that's it's fucked up when somebody takes their dick out or something There are dudes who actually don't know that. Yeah. And it could be because they're autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be because they just haven't had enough experience. And it's kind of it's kind of sad, actually, because women mm-hmm. expect them to have experience. And when they don't have it, they're socially shamed. Yeah. And it's weird because guys would come up and buy, like, literally, pa- like, training packages from the guy who I worked for mm-hmm. named Adam Lyons, who would be $70,000, $100,000. Mm-hmm. And... They would be guys who would call up, and I'd be talking to them on the phone because I'm doing sales for his company. And they're like, um, "I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. I'm 55 years old. I don't want to die alone. And I, and whenever I try to talk with people, I don't recognize their emotions. And it yeah. makes every date I've been on super awkward. And I don't know what to do. And you think like yeah. it's actually kind of sad for people like that. Yeah, you guess you got to take in those those outliers into account as well, right? Yeah. So it's weird because it's like I mean, so this is not, by the way, for anybody listening, any kind of defense of a Harvey Weinstein guy. That right. dude's fucked up. It's a hundred percent fucked mm-hmm. up. Nobody, every outlet in his life, right. let him know that, yeah. and he still forged ahead as if that was completely fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's just a very weird kind of thing because it's like you got to handle that dragon somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you I gotta think, tame that dragon. You, you, life can't, especially like as you get older, man. Life can't just be about chasing pussy. No then, way. That's when, because <laughs> then that's when you catch it and it didn't want to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you're Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. But I mean, like that's kind of what happened for me too. I think is that I I hit a point where I was like. This isn't a problem for anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, if I want to get laid, if I want to get a girlfriend, if I want to have, right. like, if I want to get a threesome, if I want to get, like, whatever I want, I can pretty much get it. Right. And now I'm like, now well, now what? Okay, yeah, so, exactly. And that's when I ended up, I think, finally turning back to comedy is I was kind of mm-hmm. like, like, and this was a few years ago, I was like, man, this is not f- as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And, and comedy's funny, too, because comedy's one of the only things I've done in my life where it has instant gratification. But it disappears very quickly, so fast, and it and it because it's really it's really a long term game. Oh it, yeah, it, it can trick people because you get the instant gratification, right? But it really it's a it's a longevity game. So uh, I think a lot of people kind of get that confused. You're having a good week or something, 
And that's where we were talking about the roller coasters. You're having a good week, maybe a good month, and you're like, oh, dude, where is my Netflix special? Oh, yeah. Next thing you know, that same exact five minute, 10 minute set you're doing is crumbling beneath your feet, and you're like, what in the what fuck? What the fuck happened? happened here? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, beca- and I really think it's because, like, you change, and as you change, the material change, the way you say it changes. So I, I try not to get caught up in that instant. Shit, man, the world changes around yeah. you. Like, it's hard. I mean, Absolutely. it's just it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it's weird because it's exactly like you said. You can be doing the same five, ten minutes, and mm-hmm. it'll work time over time over time. And then for some reason, eight shows in a row, it just right. won't work. Bonk. And bonk, you're like, what? Ha- what? The, yeah. What is going on with this material? And you won't. You there? That's the thing that's really frustrating too. Is it's like there are no answers. Yeah. No. Nobody. There's not. You're gonna have to continuously keep fucking digging because there's nothing that's gonna come up. Yeah. There's no silver bullet. Yeah, I think that's why this is like the coolest thing I've ever done in my life because I'm so competitive in it, and it's uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Sport. I mean, I I didn't start playing sports until I was a junior in high school because I hit my growth spurt my so- the summer between my sophomore and junior year. Dude, I grew like seven inches in a summer. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I remember my knees hurting. It was so bad. I had to get all new clothes. It was awful. Uh, <laughs> but then sports after that weren't hard for me because I went to a I went to a very small Catholic school in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, so I was just because of my sheer height, I was already like at a different level uh, with, yeah. amongst my peers. Got right? it. So that wasn't too bad. Then I got in really good shape. So the military wasn't too, too physically demanding. And then after that, it was just kind of like, what, what is there now? It's just college and, and working and work was just check these boxes. Just don't show up drunk and come to work and you're going to do a good job. Yeah, Just don't fuck up this totally different yeah this is totally different this there's nothing easy about this yeah i mean you have to you have to do the work here you can't just be put in a slot and expect to kind of grow well and like and we'll compare it to like military i was two different things but military you kind of get you're in and as long as you just keep swearing in you're gonna keep progressing you know what i mean you're gonna get more stripes yeah yeah with it's it's the opposite in comedy if you're in and your platform starts to grow and you and your uh What's the word here? Your performance doesn't start yeah, to grow your with ability, your platform. Yeah, if your if your skill and ability doesn't grow oh, with dude, your it's platform, gonna on, it's, it's going to fall gonna, over. Yep, yeah. Yep. And then that platform is going to it's going to the pendulum's going to swing and yeah. you're going to lose a lot of a lot. I, of, this is it's totally true, man. Like I'm starting even with this podcast, like I'm starting to get people who who are saying yes and when can we meet? Mm-hmm. Who I never I was like, man, that's a never like some of these guys, like, like there's a, I mean, people who listeners or you probably won't even know, but like people who are like authors who I mm-hmm. really like, like Doug, Douglas Rushkoff, who wrote yeah. a book called uh, Present Shock, yeah. where he's talking about the, I mean, he's a kind of current affairs and technology writer a little bit who talks about, you know, how technology is is changing the way we relate to each other and and all of these kinds of things. He's a real ass dude, real yeah. ass guy who mm-hmm. does real ass shit in the world. And I sent him an email and was like, I really would love to interview for this podcast. I've interviewed couple of different economists some you know some um uh some philosophers a couple porn stars yeah and he was like i'll do it and like sent me yeah. this thing back he's like let me know and in my head i'm like i better make sure i'm a fucking good ass inter- interviewer yeah. on this on this interview or like he's gonna think this is a waste of his time people who tune in are gonna think yeah. it's a waste of their time i think you'll i think you'll find i, that, I like that like yeah. that kind of shit drives me for sure yeah, that's i see... think uh, this is maybe another thing that when you're saying you're like being competitive that like you get is you get that instant feedback but you get it either way and it's like if you don't if if they say ladies and gentlemen zach orion mm-hmm. and you walk up and you don't hit that fucking spot yeah and you don't hit your nail your setups n- stick your punchlines. yeah 
Like if you don't gesture, if you don't, if you don't emote to the crowd, and all of that, you're that's it's whatever the opposite of gratification is. It's instant that shit. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? And that is the worst Does, feeling ever. Yeah. Then and you look and you're like, oh, I still have five more minutes. I have yeah. To be and yeah. <laughs> like how did I go through all of my ten minutes of material in three minutes? Yeah. But it's like you have, you have to. There is a okay. You go now, and yeah. that's and that's I think why I also liked mixed martial arts. To be honest, was it was like. If I don't show up right now, yeah. I'm gonna get my ass kicked. Break your leg off. Yeah, and I I have to do this. Mm. And if I and if I don't, there will be consequences. Yeah, you get physically assaulted. We get verbally assaulted. <laughs> you get emotionally assaulted. Right, we get emotionally <laughs> assaulted. No, that's funny. And I think uh, going back to what you're talking about with people accepting doing the podcast and and you having issues with some people, I think what's interesting about that is and uh, a lot of things that I've been looking at. The fact, and it goes back to the instant gratification thing. A lot of times, people will turn things down and turn opportunities down if there's not like a paycheck attached to it. If they can't yeah. see what that will immediately benefit, you know yep. what I mean? And like, it's so easy to say, "Hey, do you want to come sit with me for an hour or two and do this podcast?" And then me be like, "Well, what what is that going to benefit?" But like, yeah. I, I never thought like that. I'm like, "Oh, this guy wants to talk to me. Let's go. What are we going to talk about? Let's yeah, go. Yeah. We'll talk right now." Yeah, I have had, I've had a couple of people email me back and they're like, "Is it paid?" And I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, it's paid, dude. Come <laughs> see. Yeah, it's fucking paid. Are you nuts?" <laughs> yeah, let me just write you a check for five grand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I have. <laughs> right. No, but we'll get you coffee, French press. If even. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, man. Oh, uh, jeez. Um, well, you you've got a number of. Uh, what time are we even at in this podcast? I shouldn't even. I uh, should have checked. Oh, we're 48 in. We're good. We're running up on time in just a little bit. But, um, well, what's next for you guys? You have verified laughs going on at the Laugh Factory, right? Actually, so I'm starting the roast show at Laugh Factory. Oh, which shit. is the second fourth week of every uh, second fourth Thursday of every month, and I um pulled out of verified laughs, mm. um, which was a hard thing to do because that was the first thing. That was the first opportunity I got in comedy to produce, and it was so much fun. And I feel like I did a great job working with the other guys, Daryl Tock, uh, Tim. Uh, there's been a bunch of people, Shira. Um, if I'm missing you, it's just because we're running low on time. But we got that thing running, and it's it's a beautiful little thing right It's now. a great show. Right, but they've got like five producers still doing it, so they're good. So yep. what I wanted to make sure was coming on to this next show that I was able to give it everything I had. Mm. And with Verify Laughs, and you know how hard it is to just get people to your show, right? Verify yeah. Laughs is a weekly you know, you got to get 100 people to a show every week. Yep. Now I got to focus on getting X amount of people to a show every other week. I didn't want to be too constrained to where, because I know how hard it is just to get something running. So I felt like Verified Laughs is kind of in cruise control right now. They're doing a great job with that. And I kind of want to do the same thing and help Burnt get going. So That's um, cool. That's yeah. a good name for a roast show too. Burnt. Yeah, I mean, we did our first show two weeks ago and it was incredible. I mean, it was a blast. We kind of It was kind of a dry run show. We didn't really have uh, too much. And it was probably a little bit my fault because I was like, oh, host? Yeah, I'll host. We're hosting Verify Laughs all the time. Let's go. And I got up there and I was like, oh, this is different. Because <laughs> it's not stand-up, right? So I got to introduce these people, say, hi, how's it going? Set them up for the little roast battle. So we, we kind of did that on purpose to get that dry run out. Yep. Look at the tape, figure out everything we need to do. So Had you never hosted before? Had you like never... Uh well I hosted Verified Laughs a lot got it so that was the first time I'd really started hosting and now I'm hosting like mics and stuff like that I ran my own mic called Belly Hoots for uh, about nine months here in the city and I just um uh, we're moving we're in the transition phase I'm gonna move it to a bar up here oh nice man I was gonna yeah. say that shows you how out of Chicago comedy I feel like I've been yeah. in the last nine months I had like no idea <laughs> yeah so I've been so I've been hosting um initially oh, I hated man. hosting but now I love it just because I think it's like more difficult and when I host I try to go up like kind of how you say I try to go up completely cold see what I can get and work on a different you know 
angle of you know my performance from that level. oh yeah and then obviously with my sets going to my writing but um, yeah so i love hosting it's just different because it's like you you have to the host has to create the context for the entire show yeah and you have to form the way that i always looked at it was like you have to form a tribe like you're you're forming and then leading a tribe yeah and you have to do that from scratch, mm-hmm. and it's that's the that it's is the tough, fun part, yeah. yeah because you got to like, get the audience on board, you got to get the performers on board, you got to yeah. set the ambiance. Yeah, it's, you um, can't like I've, I just remember this one time I hosted. I started a show when I was living in Boulder, Colorado. I started a show uh, called the um, Amante Comedy Night, which was at Amante Coffee. It was mm-hmm. cool. It was like a European style cafe, so it was like a coffee bar, but they had like lots of alcoholic drinks. Yeah, and we did a show there like once a month, um, and it was a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> Uh, Tyler Ross used to come and do the show when he was living out there. Oh, Tyler, yeah, yeah, way back in the day. I met Tyler in Cleveland. Tyler's from Cleveland. He's from yeah, he's or from like that. He's out. from that area. Yeah. Like, but I met him in Denver in 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. when he had first moved out there with with Victoria Busberg, who was his then girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I laugh only because like he's got a bunch of bits about how they broke up, and yeah. it's so funny because I watch him and I'm like, I was there when yeah, that happened. I watched that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like. It's like you're telling me the story about that really, you know, about the Hindenburg, but I was on it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so I started this show, Monte Comedy Night, and I totally had like a completely abortive host experience once where, and I and the, this guy, uh, Matt Monroe, I don't know if you know mm-hmm. him, He's uh, he lives in L.A. now, but he um, he was the first comic up, and he's, uh, I was just like, got up, I said like three jokes, the audience wasn't really into it, and I just was like, all right, Matt Monroe, and then walked off stage, oh, shit. Yeah. and he was so mad at me yeah. when I got off stage, and he should have been, because I didn't do my job at all. Yeah. Like, you know what, I've definitely bit. probably done that, for sure. <laughs> I've <laughs> just, definitely, just kind of no, like, definitely, definitely no, this is uncomfortable, and I just yeah. like, got, got right off stage. <laughs> and it is a weird, because you're, you're, you're the, like you said, you're the... You're the engineer of that whole thing, but you're also the punching bag. So, oh yeah, no matter which way it's going, you're the punch bag because like you can't leave cold like that, right? Like oh, you, you can't, can't at all. pull up your you can't pull up your first comic in a cold room unless it's just like all right, I have done everything I can. This is just a cold room. Um, so like in that aspect, you have to learn just to be the punching bag. Which oh, no doubt. And it's weird, and that's hard to do in itself. The guy who does it the best, I think, is Joe McMahon. You know? Oh, Joe's incredible. Yeah, yeah, because Joe doesn't care about fucking anything. Like, no, dude, he doesn't give a he's shit. He's incredible. I watched him host a, magi- a magic show the other day, and it was incredible. I was like, what? Dude, you're <laughs> insane. My favorite, I, I've, I've said this more than one time on this podcast and on other podcasts I've been on in Chicago, but my favorite Chicago comedy experience, hands down, was when I lived with Dave Metz and, and Joe mm-hmm. for a little while. We lived literally just a block away. And uh, I stayed with them for like a whole summer. And my favorite comedy Chicago experience was watching Bar Rescue with Joe sitting on the couch drinking yeah. and just Joe doing commentary on the show. Hilarious. And it was, you know, Bar Rescue? Yeah. Oh, like John dude, Taffer? I'm like, I was like addicted to Bar Rescue for a <laughs> it's while. Unbe- it, it is the most bingeable TV show. Oh, yeah. It it's was so much fun to watch. Yeah. And that guy, here's the, here's like, the funny thing, that guy reminds me of like all my uncles. Because he's like, I mean, I'm Macedonian and I don't know what he is. He's like yeah. Eastern European or something yeah, yeah. like that. But he remind that's how all my uncles are. They're like bald, tall, and just way too fucking aggressive. Yeah. He's just, yeah. Except he's <laughs> just he's aggressive and smart. My uncles are just aggressive and dumb. Yeah. So it's like they're just aggressive over dumb shit, right? That's so funny, man. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Yeah, he would just that show was unbelievable. He's he's top two three funniest naturally funniest people i've ever met in my entire joe, life. Joe, joe mcmahon joe mcmahon and mike robinson are probably is probably the other. i love mike so much 
Mike is like, I, he just, he's like one of these guys who like, it's not, a, I mean, he's not only is he hilarious, which yeah. he totally is, but even if he wasn't hilarious, I would just want him around. Oh yeah. I told just him. Just cause he's so fun. To we like went to Mineral Point, Wisconsin together and we did two shows and we started drinking right before our second show. Cause the first show did like 370 people that sold out the yeah. theater. It was like the, it was the most people I've ever done comedy in front of. So we were like, okay, let's, let's let loose a little bit. Second show went fine too. I mean, it was a great show. It was like 150 in the second show. And then Mineral Point's a small town. There's only 2,000 people. So we just did comedy for 25% of this whole time, town. Town. Right? Yeah, everybody in town now knows who you guys are. So we went to the – there's one street. So we went out to the street in the bars, and they're, like, clapping, buying us drinks and stuff. So we're getting hammered. And then the theater representatives come over and they're like, hey, let's go take a picture. Well, I can see the, the glaze in Mike's eyes already. And I'm like, well, we need to do this now because it's almost done. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike can't do this much longer. <laughs> we went out there, and we're snapping pictures, man. And he's like, all right, I don't know how to do this, so I'm just going to keep snapping. So he's snapping, snapping. And after, like, the third one, Mike goes, Bleh! And just throws up all over the <laughs> ground, splats on these guys' shoes, and it was one of the most funniest things ever. Here's the best part: me, I throw up, I go home. Like my night's over, right? Yeah, Mike. Mike threw up. He wiped his mouth with his forearm and goes, "All right, where are we going?" And we're we're at the bars. He hung out all night. Yeah. I don't even think he washed his mouth. To be honest, you we see just how hung skinny he is, night. man. He needs to replenish those calories. Yeah, That's he's, why. he's. I told him we need to start a show where we just take him and drop him into little weird communities and then just that's actually you gotta do it we're just gonna record that's a great idea do be mike robinson be mike robinson and he what he needs to do is he needs to go to tiny little redneck white towns oh yeah the midwest i mean he was the only black person in mineral point wisconsin everybody loved him and he didn't it was no pandering it was this is mike yeah i'm he's not gonna he's not gonna that's what i love about that guy is he's not gonna censor himself for anybody no no, like <laughs> he is him. Every you know exactly what you're gonna get. You walk into church, or you walk into Costco, or yeah. you walk into a, a public. And you know what's pool, weird you know is exactly like he doesn't he do, he doesn't feel inappropriate in any of those settings. No, like he's a hundred percent himself in all those settings. It makes complete sense. Yeah, he's just like because <laughs> it's almost like. It, it, it's like his frame. It's like a. He's just a child doing. Yeah. It. He's allowed to do this, but yeah. it's like a grown man. Though. Yeah. But you know what I mean. But it's like, oh, with his stature, you do whatever. Yeah, you, you got it, man. Like he can't break not, anything. Just it's kind smart. of non-threatening and like. Yeah, you he's got that anything. big smile. Like. Yeah, yeah, huge <laughs> smile. Yeah, definitely oh. non-threatening. And and that's the best part about him and Joe, is that. And I say, you know, they don't care, and I, I totally mean that in a joking way because they obviously care very much about their careers. What I mean, they don't care is they don't care about outside perspective, right? No, so not they, at all. They, they don't care about that judgment or anything that can come through, and that's what makes them so, so damn funny. They don't have any. There's no pause. They're like totally okay with who they are. Yeah, yeah. Total, total self, uh, total sense of themselves. So, yeah, and it's great. Uh, well, we're heading up probably on time, man. Oh, we are. We're just oh, this is a, right about the sweet spot too. Perfect. Um, so Zacho, Zacho, where um, where can people get at you, man? We're gonna follow you. This is a lot of this audience of mine is. Half Chicago, half international. Oh, which is really? Kind of unique. Oh, shit, yeah. dude, we're going. We a lot global. of people from the Netherlands. Shout out to, <laughs> shout out to to uh, Groningen, Netherlands. Groningen, yeah, yeah, and uh, Kingston, Jamaica. Also, I get the Russian Federation listens to this for oh, some reason. Shit. Really? I think they listen to everything. The Russians are listening to everything, dude. <laughs> They've been listening to me on my walk up here, which was only three minutes. Yeah, uh, no, the- man, you can catch. I'm all well. I'm all over Chicago, obviously. Uh, Stray Biz is cool. We're doing a, a Denver show. We're going back to Mineral Point. Uh, I think immediate. I'm doing. I'm. I'm really excited about this. Chris Tranny got me booked at uh, House of Blues nice. on Tuesday, so that's like the biggest thing that's probably happened to me in a long time. I'm um, doing that, and then um, obviously Burnt is the second and fourth Thursday 
um, of every month at the Laugh Factory, and we stream that live too. If you follow Laugh Factory Chicago nice. or Burnt on Facebook, who else is producing that show? Uh, there's a couple people. So myself, uh, Brian from the Laugh Factory is producing it. Um, and there's honestly, I don't really know everyone's roles right now. There's a lot. There's like, we have so many people because we've got the judges and everything like that. I know John Norman's helping produce it. Uh, Marjolewski. Um, there's a bunch of people, Dave Phillips. Yep. There's a bunch of people, um, helping out with that show. So it's been a great time. Um, but I would say honest, the most active I am is on Instagram at Zach Orion. Uh, Z-A-K-O, Ryan, and then Facebook, Zacho. If you type in Z-A-K-O just anywhere, I'm going <laughs> to be the only up. thing that pops up. So Nice, man. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much for swinging by, dude, and uh, hashing it out. It was a good conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Meanwhile, the madness continues. <laughs>